Welcome to The Weekly, a podcast brought to you by Calvary Bible Church. I'm your host, Jay Ewing. I reside usually on the Erie campus, but I love all three campuses of Calvary Bible Church. If you're in the digital space today and listening to my voice, so thankful that you're tuning in to what's happening here at Calvary. You always want to go to calvarybible.com, click your campus, events, submit a prayer request. We would love to connect with you here at Calvary. Colossians says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And we are thankful for you, thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to have a great podcast today as we finish up the series in Flourish, which has been mostly in Colossians, occasionally jump to Ephesians. If they want more clarity in a text, they've gone to Ephesians. But we have Thomas Milburn in the house once again. Thomas, thanks for being with us today. Absolutely. Thanks for unmuting my microphone. <laughs> well, you started it <laughs> off very poorly. I was punished. <laughs> you were punished. As well as, we're not like other Christian podcasts. We're not going to jump into the chatter for 10 minutes. Oh my gosh. Okay. We, Kill the music. No, Kill the music. No, no, Kill the music. No, 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 no. Kill the music. Hey, and, this is my, I'm, I'm running the show here. And hit hit the applause button. Yes. Okay. Thank you. So last week I told Jay that all Christian <laughs> podcasts begin with banter. And then they like, ha, 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 ha. Let's just get into it. And we should... We should kill the banter. Yes, we are killing it. And right then now. Jay said, "What'd you What'd you tell me? You told me like, oh, now that I know that all of these Christian podcasts are basically doing that, I can't do it anymore. No, no, not doing it. So, so we're we talking, are rewriting the script. Yes, we're gonna love like Jesus and flourish. <laughs> <laughs> we're getting into it, bud. I, I I'd say we give it. Your conviction will last two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty long time. And then it'll be like, hey. Do you see the Super Bowl commercials? Yeah, totally, totally. All right, so you're not going to do it. We talked about Flourish, and, we, and you opened up this series um, with this deep desire for Christ to help us each flourish. Paul sort of connecting to those, those dots in the book of Colossians, right into Colossae, a Asian minor place in time and space and history. Someone asked me in life group, like, where is that? Well, that's a good question. You should go Google it. Look at a map. It's in present-day Turkey, um, which is super interesting. How interesting is it that, what, Jesus died and rose again 30 AD, 33 AD, right? Depending yeah. on who you yeah. are and how you read the, yeah. the script. But Alexander the Great, before Jesus, had paved the entire world. And because of that, the gospel could go out to the entire world mm-hmm. and could go to Colossae very quickly compared to the 200 years before that time period. How interesting is that? I, You know, one of my favorite books is this timeline book that I have. It's probably, it's got to be like 24 inches tall and maybe 18 inches wide. So it's like a substantial book. Wow. And actually it's only one page. It actually folds out. So when it gets all folded back up, it's it looks like it's 30 pages. Right. But it's human history. Wow. And I'm sure they have this in digital form now. Yeah. That's way cooler and accessible. Logos does that in digital form. Oh, do they? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, I'm, but anyways. I'm old. I'm old. No, no. Old. Keep so going. So I, I carry this in my saddlebags on my horse. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The horse that you trade out during the Pony Express yes. when they come through town? Yes, so <laughs> it fits in my saddlebag next. <laughs> All right, anyway. But it's just awesome to see, like, this is what's happening in the world as this is the biblical story unfolding. I just love that it's unfolding in real time. Yeah. And then you see those big intersections of, like, whoa, explosion. Right. It's cool. It is a beautiful thing. How long was Paul in Colossae? Do you know? No. I. So he's not the one that started the church. Yeah. Remember? Yeah. We, we get a name at the end of yeah. the book that starts the church. But well, was his, he? did he ever visit 
Colossae? He comes through, I can't remember on which missionary journey One through the area. Because they're all kind of right there with Hierapolis, Laodicea, mm-hmm. which is interesting that those churches find themselves into Revelation. Mm-hmm. Right? The Laodiceans, they're, they're milk toast. Totally. Lukewarm. Yeah. And it's the water from Hierapolis and Colossae that are the waters that you want to be. Oh, interesting. Okay. So there's sort of a, it's all in the same general area. Yeah. I would love, I would just love to go visit those churches for a few weeks. I wonder, there's got to be some oh, yeah, K-Love Cruise that does yeah. that. I'm sure. Yeah. With Michael W. Smith. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Some some dear saints of Calvary have gone to things like that. I'm like, that'd be so cool. Just that would to be see. really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I would want to do it independently so I can linger and not have to rush from town to town. Mm-hmm. But to like just sit on a corner in the ruins of Colossae and read the book of Colossians. Would that be in the category of traveling J time? Yeah, totally. J style? How's J style. It's J style. With a good cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And a baguette. <laughs> Signed me you, up. You, the problem is my family makes fun of J style traveling, but everyone loves it. <laughs> <laughs> Unhurried. Unhurried. Oh, that's good. Okay, so we talked about this week. And it really came out of this burden of this Harvard study. And sort of, we've we've read some of these things, especially since the pandemic, of the crisis of loneliness and isolation. And was it a reality before the pandemic? It was probably heading that way. The pandemic heightened some of these things. Yeah, I think I can keep going back. This is this is Thomas Milburn, social science. Yeah, um, happening in real time. But I think the the general observation that I've gravitated towards is. Again, pandemic doesn't necessarily create a lot. There's some things it created, but it just surfaced a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. right? So we were managing our lives in a certain way, and then this really exposed what yeah. was going on. Yeah. And it's a pressure cooker, and so you're going to add some, you know, some intensity to things. And right. so I think one of those is loneliness and isolation. Yeah, which the Surgeon General has brought to the forefront in his yeah. tenure as Surgeon fascinating? General. We've talked about that in the, in the state of Colorado, how Colorado public health Gosh, has it's just awful. looking at indicators of like children's hospital visits right. for self-harm, um, for depression and loneliness. And I mean, just it's just skyrocketing. And everyone's kind of trying, what do we do? You know, Colorado is implementing, you know, um, what they, I think they call it like mental health checks or mm-hmm. something like that, mm-hmm. which you're like, man, I don't know how excited am I that people who don't love God don't want to walk towards the Lord are the ones that are trying to rescue the next generation. Like I, I'd like to speak into that. Yeah. You know, totally. Yeah. It it requires the gospel has always been textualized to the place and time it has been. It was in Colossae, Laodicea. It's in the book of revelation. It's it's, in Erie, Colorado and Boulder, and Thornton on the front range of Colorado, the gospel has to speak into our culture, present day crisis, mm-hmm. right? I think that was what's so interesting about the surgeons generals was okay, you have these observations, but the Christian community, faith coming back to God, was not part of the, you know, the repair of the social fabric. Mm-hmm. Because there's not really like a place for the church; they don't see it. Um, as a place to help repair what's lost. Mm-hmm. And then you look at the Harvard study, and Harvard's like, hey, there's four things for human flourishing to actually like reduce anxieties, depressions, loneliness, isolation, to produce in you, you know, confidence, joy, happiness. And one of the key four pathways is religious community. Now, I know they're looking broader than Christian community, but you come to the Christian community, and you're like, yeah, this is, this is what our God's about. Yeah, and Paul... To Colossae, it's like, uh, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Oh, man. <laughs> He's like, uh, this is the remedy, right? Yeah, if you go to chapter 3, let me pull that up. Put on the chosen as the chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other as the Lord forgave you, must forgive, but I'll put on love, which binds everything in perfect harmony. 
Like, Paul has the remedy. <laughs> yeah. Because he's looking at Jesus Christ. I, well, that's, I think that's the piece I want. I mean, I didn't actually have the opportunity to teach on that specific text. Yeah. Um, 15 on. But all of that is, it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And then, 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, mm-hmm. teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And it's like, okay, if you want the peace of Christ to rule your life, then the word of Christ must dwell. Mm-hmm. There's no way to have the peace of Christ apart from the word of Christ in your life. Dude, preach it. So preach if, it. if you want more peace, no matter what the circumstance is, then the word of Christ must dwell. Yeah. And they're, they're, they're symbiotic. Yeah. You don't get one without the other. Yeah. This is a very interesting thing, but when I was a very young believer, 17 years old, I remember my day would go better as an early Christian if I would read the scriptures. And I remember distinctly knowing that from an early faith. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And, like, it wouldn't really affect, like, if I read them once a week, I couldn't tell a difference. Twice a week, maybe three. But I was consistently, like, just reading the scriptures, no matter how well I was reading them, no matter where I was reading what parts of the scriptures, my day would go better. And I remember that very young in my faith, that the scriptures had this remedy in them for a different type of life. Mm Mm-hmm. See, I think that that is a piece where everyone needs to understand. A lot of times we will hear this, like, separate yourself from God because then you're able to, you know, live out who you're called to be. Mm-hmm. As though somehow if you separate yourself from a formal religious community, mm-hmm. you're able to create your own life. Right. But the reality is, you are a product of somebody's formation. Mm-hmm. Like we've talked about, everyone ascribes to some liturgy. Yeah, we talk about that a lot on the podcast, which I think is really important to talk about. Yeah, and so over. what we'd say is humans flourish when the word of Christ, the liturgy of God, the direction, the instruction of God is the formational mm-hmm. mechanism of your life. How do you forgive? How do you love? How do you clothe yourself with compassion? How do you speak in kindness? Like all These are all the ways in which we want to be formed. And so I think there, I don't remember who said it. Maybe someone who listens to the podcast will, will be able to give authorship to this. But they had said, when you don't believe in God, it's not that you don't believe in anything. It's that you'll believe anything. Mm-hmm. And so when you lose that, that, that formational structure of God, it's not that you freed yourself from it, and now you're just the, the creator of whatever. It's that, oh, now I'll actually be susceptible to believing anything, any liturgies out there mm-hmm. that could actually harm me. It probably will. Totally. If you listen to more podcasts than listening to scripture, reading scripture, you should stop the weekly. <laughs> oh, there right. was there was a guy, um, one of the pastors from one of the other campuses had told me there was a gentleman that came into church maybe a couple weeks ago um, and said, I, I, I need to know who Jesus Christ is. I need to belong to a Christian community. And he said, well, what's your upbringing? Did you grow up in the church? No, I, I you know, atheistic parents. Um, they said, you'll find your own way. I've tried several things. I just started listening to the Bible. And he was in Psalms. And one of the pastors said, so wait, have you been listening to the Bible in Psalms? He said, no, I I started at the beginning. I've been listening since Genesis 1, and I'm in the Psalms, and I need to know who God is. Mm. And I knew that this church could help me. Wow. You're like, right on. Yeah. Yeah, get in the Word. That's what the Holy Spirit's blowing in sometimes. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, so good. Yeah. The joy, there's a few, some of the j- most joyous moments in the Christian life. One is getting to baptize someone, right? That's a great joy. Mm-hmm. Marrying someone, great joy. Bearing, great joy. I think giving a Bible away is the greatest. Yeah. And like you just marking out, and I don't remember, I know, I'm not going to say his name, but there's a gentleman I, we know in our midst that we're both familiar with who, he has his Bible, and, and if he meets someone who needs a Bible, he'll just give him his Bible. And like, there's no greater joy than to hand the word of God. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? That's why I love, that's why I love those things. Like just amazing ministries that like produce Bibles and give them away for free, put them in hotel rooms, translate them, drop them at night from the, you know, planes in foreign countries. Like I love that stuff because the Bible is one of the greatest gifts you can give a human being. Mm -hmm. I just love that. All right, so we're we're in the end of the series. Yeah, and you you mentioned ten people, right? There's a ten. There's eleven people. Eleven. Um, I think it's eleven that are mentioned, uh, including Timothy. Yeah, from chapter one. But yeah, so it just debunks this idea of Paul being isolated, alone, superhero. Yeah, the the sort Ranger. of the Americanized individualism, John Wayne yeah. type Christianity. Which was very prevalent in a time and space within the American church. Oh, yeah. And has lingering effects still. I think it's I think it's gotten debunked more and more, but I think it's still there. What do you think? Yeah, I th- I think it's you know, our habit of taking people, even in the in the God story, so old testament. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> And trying to make them and, and to move them independent of the actual community they were part of. Right. So David, Abraham, Deborah, Esther, Ruth. You know, it's like we just talk to talk about them always as individuals, as opposed to who were they in their space and time. And you know, our obsession with celebrity Christians, I think, doesn't help. Doesn't help. Yeah. Yep. But you know, you see Paul here in Colossians. Let me just, I'm going to tell you from one community to the other of all these people he's connected to. Yeah. And what they've meant to him. Yeah. And not to, I thought it was very interesting because when you did this, you're like, I was like, I bet there's biblical art of each of these people. Yeah. You were the one that said, hey, I'm going to go find all the art. And it was true. You know, I'm a big church history sort of nerdy guy. I like biblical art as well. And so... It was super interesting to actually know that all of these individuals had been in art somewhere, someplace in the Christian world. Yeah, I was I was joking with you. We should probably just head down to the Greek Orthodox Church. They're probably <laughs> on the wall. Yeah. We could just take pictures. Totally take pictures. You know. Yeah, but we have some individuals. I I think we should go through the list. What do you think? Okay. Tychicus. Tychicus. These are good names. Yeah. I mean, you have to read your... You have to listen to someone else pronounce it for a while before you pick it up. But he four seven. He's an encourager. Yeah. What do we find out about him? Well, he's. I mean, some of these guys are mentioned in other letters, so we yeah. know that they're not just, you know, punctuated people in Paul's life. I that is a beautiful statement. Explain that a little more. Um, like, well, like, like what letters? How were they? You know, how were they? Yeah. So you're, you're gonna, some of these guys are going to pick up an axe. Like, where does the story begin? You're going to see them in other letters. You know, when Paul writes to Philemon or Timothy, um, who's mentioned there with him. So they're not just individuals that he met along the way and then departed from, but they they were part of his story. Yeah. So and he's in, yeah. Whereas Tychicus mentioned, is he mentioned in other, any other places? You told me not to ask you hard questions, but yeah, I'm right. really interested if he is mentioned in other places throughout the scriptures because I found a piece of art from him, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, church history sort of, here's the thing, like, we were joking about this, right? Um, the evangelical church, especially of America, does not like or does not subscribe to church history in some ways or is leery of. Yeah, they're, the, they're not in high church. Yeah. yeah. But, like, Tychicus was, like, in Acts 20, Yep. Right? So Yeah, he's all over the place. So in the Acts story is kind of the, you know, here's here's what the church is doing. And mm-hmm. so that's where we first see Tychicus. He's mentioned also in Ephesians. You had mentioned Colossians and Ephesians can, yeah. can be kind of sister letters. Some people actually think Ephesians was the letter written to the Laodiceans. So in Colossians, mm-hmm. when he says, okay, after you're done reading this letter, go read it to the Laodiceans mm-hmm. and then make sure that their letter's read to you. Like, what's the letter? Yeah. It could be the letter of Ephesians. So just pushing it along through the yeah. the chain of churches. Yeah, which becomes, you know, another evidence of the early church recognizing Paul's writings as authoritative. But he's picked up again in, in Timothy and in Titus when he 
He talks to his young mentees. Yeah, uh, it, it seems like Tychicus was was no longer in Rome. Was not long before he came. I mean, was he in Rome with with Paul in Second Timothy? Like, what was his story? Or was he sent? It sounds like in Second Timothy four it says he was sent to the Ephesians. Yeah, or so, Ephesus. Yeah, another messenger for Paul um, to take his message to the churches, um, to encourage the churches to check on the churches. You know, by the time you get to Second Timothy, Paul is in change, and so these are kind of his um, advocates, right? His ambassadors that are going about. Yeah, and you know, Timothy's in Ephesus, so Tychicus is probably coming to to encourage Timothy. He's the one that probably brings this letter, maybe. Wow. It's just like, I love these stories. I know we, we don't talk about these individuals a lot, but this that's super interesting to me mm-hmm. that he was that integral and, and like it, and just a part of Paul's ministry, right? And it wasn't even Paul's ministry. It was the Lord's ministry in the time period of Asia Minor. Yeah. Dickus was a major player. Yeah. That Paul helped disciple and then use for that ministry yeah okay so we got a we got onesimus right onesimus Onesimus. yeah Yeah. and we know a lot about him because philemon is written for his release yeah it's the letter that accompanies him back to philemon so he was bond servant slave he fled of a yeah of philemon he departed and then comes to know Christ, and Paul disciples him and says, hey, we've we got to go back to Philemon, and I'm going to send a, a letter with you to accompany you. Which shows you the restoration of a brother. I, I think it's the, the restoration I kind of left for Mark. Yeah. So we get to Mark and Barnabas, and there's a disagreement and a falling out in which Paul and Barnabas separate. Barnabas takes Mark, and then Paul takes Silas. And when you see... Paul saying, welcome, Mark. I think that's the restoration. I think what I see in Onesimus is actually the peacemaker. Is It's not necessarily Paul's restoration. It's, yeah. okay, how do I help restore a relationship between brothers or, you know, that are now brothers? And so, you know, you know Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. And so here I think Paul is playing the role of peacemaker. Mm. Is how do I... How do I bring two estranged parties back together? Yeah, he's 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 actually the very practical implications of Jesus of how we get along yeah. and unify. Which all of these are just characteristics of, you know, if you had a community that's going to flourish, you're going to have disagreements, you're going to have hardships, you're going to have people that do criminal things. Great. Yeah. How do we, you know, encourage? How do you be a peacemaker? How do you be someone who forgives and restores? Yeah. So that the church flourishes. It's highly probable that he was actually the bishop of Ephesus eventually. Onesimus? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, he gets, he, that name pops up around 100 AD with another bishop who takes over him. So when you think yeah. bishop and things like that, and that the means the pastors of the, the churches in Ephesus. That's cool. I yeah. can't wait to, to hear all the stories of how this actually played out. Okay, we got another one. All right. We're going down the list here. Okay. So we got Articus? Articus? Yes. Or how do you pronounce that? I, I think I had said Aristicus. Aristicus, yeah, that's probably, that's probably yeah. closer. Yeah, what was Aristicus? I'm just going to go with my pronunciation of Hebrew names is probably not great. Well, <laughs> great. I'm from Texas, so <laughs> it's, like, it's really my bad. pronunciation of English names <laughs> is challenging enough. Um, yeah, Aristicus, yeah, my fellow prisoner, who is that? So he's mentioned again in Philemon um, as a bond or, or as a fellow soldier. So you know, I think it's just important to remind ourselves that Paul views himself as a warrior, as a contender for something, to you know overcome an evil force to bring about the kingdom of God. Um, I know we can get a little squirrely with wartime imagery, but I I think it's important that we recognize that Paul views himself in some capacity like that, put on the full armor of God. That's battle language, right? Mm. We are are fighting against something. And so he says, I've got, I have a fellow warrior with me. Nothing's worse than feeling alone or isolated in your own battle. Mm -hmm. 
feel like you're, you're the only one. So not only was he a fellow soldier contending with him, but he's a fellow prisoner. Yeah, he was on the ship in Acts 27 with Paul. So, yeah, so he's, he's experiencing all the hardships. Yeah, he's in Philemon 1, 24 as well. It's like super interesting that yeah. all these guys are around Paul and he's, they're, they're, the dots are connecting, I guess, yeah. I should say, in my own story with this story. Well, it's like, did you ever think of Paul with a company of people going to battle? Right. Like, sort of, I, I kind of thought he was just kind of him. Right. I knew that Timothy and Titus were around yeah. on some level. I always think of them as like mentees, you know. I mean, though he's, you know, my beloved son. I think there's that intimacy, father-son relationship with Timothy. But I think of Tychicus, or not Tychicus, um, Aristarchus as, okay, we're, we're going into battle. We got our backs to each other, and we're both fighting. Yeah. And now we're in hardship. Maybe it's in literal prison. It's not metaphorical. Maybe we're actually both in chains together. Right. Yeah. So, I, I mean, just think, okay, who do you have in your life that's fighting battles with you? Who's fighting for your marriage with you? Mm-hmm. Um, who is sitting in what you would consider your cell? Mm-hmm. It's like d- darkness, depression. Like, do, do you have a, a mate there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Paul does. Paul does. Yeah. Yeah. He can't do it alone. This is the key to flourishing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, we have Mark as well, and we know quite a bit of Mark because of the Acts. Yeah. John Mark. Is this the gospel writer, Mark, or is this a different? Some people would say yes. Okay. Yeah. Some, we don't really know. I know. Some it's, not, it's not 100% clear. Yeah. What's Mark's story? So, you know, he's related to Barnabas. I think they, I can't remember where they pick Mark up at. Um, is this John Mark? We is call John, it? otherwise called Mark. Okay. We call him John Mark. Yeah. I think it's his two names, kind of like Jesus and Justice later. But he's with Barnabas. And what we know about Barnabas is Barnabas' his name means encourager. Mm-hmm. And so Mark traveled with Barnabas and Paul on missionary journeys. And then there was something where Mark, Zach's 15, kind of shrieks back a little bit. I'm not yeah. sure what happens. Maybe it's suffering. Maybe it's naivety. Maybe it's... Yeah. Yeah. And Paul's is like, I'm not a fan of that. Because I think he probably sees the road ahead as more of that is coming. Yeah, like you can't. But if it's if it's John Mark who wrote, if it's Mark who wrote the yeah. Gospels, Mark actually writes himself fleeing at the arrest of Jesus and mm-hmm. leaving his clothes at the scene of the crime. You know what I mean? So yeah. like it's nothing new in his life. I guess it's it could just be. A, it's just a character flaw that a brother in Christ has. Yeah, maybe. Or he's scribing for, probably for Peter, in even Peter's own story. Yeah, but anyway, so yeah, what's interesting, I think, is is that that episode with Mark and Barnabas happens somewhere between the late 40s and the mid to late 50s AD, mm-hmm. but this letter to the Colossians is written in the early 60s, which means when he writes positively of Mark to welcome him, you're seeing that he's part of this group of Jewish believers that Paul says, they're a huge comfort to me. Welcome Mark, which means he's restored the relationship. And so though there was a disagreement and they departed somewhere along the line, it would appear that Paul and Mark are reconciled. Mm -hmm. And I think what you see is that Paul and Mark have clothed themselves in that Christ's love that he he mentions of forgive one another as I've forgiven you. Yeah. There's a restoration of friendship, ministry partner, which happens, I mean, we see it all the time in ministry, right? Like, we have friends who leave Calvary, who come back to Calvary yeah, um, for different reasons, do other different ministries that we still have partnership in the gospel with, even though we don't serve in the same place, right? Yeah. But we want, we want the people of God to know that the ideal, the standard is all complete restorations with brothers and sisters. Yeah, so I think it's it's the challenge to us who if we had disagreements with that we need to clothe ourselves in humility and love them like Christ loved us and forgive them as Jesus forgave us mm-hmm. and be back in right relationship. Yeah. It might not happen overnight, but that's the aim. The aim is to be restored with one another. Okay, we got Barnabas. He, he's very familiar because he has a really interesting path with Paul. Remind me. Well, like, 
doesn't he he introduces Paul to the apostles? He sort of validates Paul early on in Paul's ministry. What yeah, is his story? I'm trying to remember if was it Barnabas who was the first one to stand up for Paul and advocate for him? I I don't know if that's if it was Barnabas. Or was it um the guy who met Paul when he was blind? Yeah, on the Damascus Road. Right. This is good, people. You're learning how we do things around here. Like we're not <laughs> I think we're not the perfect scholars. Actually, I think they're learning that we do no show prep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Barnabas. What was his story? Would you, what do you think what are you taking away from his story? Well, I think the, the big thing is is in his name. So son of encouragement. And that's exactly what Paul attributes to him in, in many places is, man, here's Barnabas who is an encourager. And I think of people at Calvary that, you know, they're, they're, they're not going to be necessarily, you know, ministry leaders or teachers or the scholars, but man, I want to be around them because their faith is contagious. And they're not, so this is the key, that in encouragement, we don't mean flattery or even false flattery. Right. Like, you're great. That was awesome. But it's someone that's able to encourage, means to give courage, to spur on. So in moments of fear or hardship, they're able to say, hey, we can do this together. We, we can push through this. To encourage is to give courage. Yeah, it's interesting that the early church history, based upon sort of the Greek usage of um, the word cousins here in actually Colossians 4, um, that the early church thinks that Barnabas and John Mark were probably, or Mark the Evangelist, were um, cousins. That's how they, that's how Barnabas knew and had that relationship with Paul. He invited his cousin along for the journey. Yeah, possibly. I wonder if that's where the disagreement was. Like, well, I'm sticking with family. Yeah, you know. Hey, it, if it happens anywhere, it can happen in the New Testament because <laughs> it happens in real life, right? But yeah, Barnabas was very early on to Paul's first missionary journey to the Gentiles. And a great encourager. And, you know, when you want, you want people to say, you're a Barnabas to me, right? Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's the adjective to describe someone who's a great encourager in the church. Yeah, I, I have to look up the, the passages in Acts. I believe it's actually Barnabas who, like, meets Paul in difficult situations and brings him to, you know, the next town. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe it's Barnabas, again, I got. I got to look this up, but he's also the one that I think was was leading the church in in selling property mm-hmm. um, and bringing those proceeds to the apostles for the sake of the ministry. Yep. And so he's encouraging and even in this generosity. Yeah. What about Demas? Now we're talking about someone who maybe failed the test eventually, failed out of relationship with Paul based upon 2 Timothy 4, where he leaves Paul, he abandons Paul. Mm-hmm. But who's who's Demas? Well, what's interesting is, to me, is that Demas, I mean, he looks like a sold-out servant, mm-hmm. right? So Paul's not going to, I mean, if, if he's already going to be critical of of Mark and say, hey, Mark, he shrieked back. We're, I'm not going with him. So Demas is ministering with Paul here in Colossians. And, and Philemon, earlier dates yeah. of Philemon, 80. So he looks like the real deal, right? right. He's got to, he, he must have preached with Paul or you know, went through hardships with Paul. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have kept him nearby. Um, but later on, it says in, in 2 Timothy 4, Demas, in love with this present world, has departed me. Mm. And I don't know if that's total de- a depart you know, of faith, did he forsake his faith? And we don't know the end of the story. Does he does he depart for a while and then come back? We know many stories like that. Mm-hmm. So that's another one that's, that'll be interesting in heaven to see. What's, where did that thing end? Yeah, well, even like some have called Demas sort of Paul's Judas, the one who abandoned Paul. Yeah. Like Judas abandoned Jesus and his ministry, which I think is really interesting. And, and actually in... Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan has uh, a deceiver named Demas. 
in his Pilgrim's Progress as the character of the biblical narrative we find here in Colossians 4 and then Second uh, Timothy. How interesting is that? Yeah. That John Bunyan picked it up in that famous work. I've interested, I had not heard that he was classified as maybe Paul's Judas. That, that seems like a category of betrayal, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think of Alexander the metal worker, the coppersmith, who Paul says, that guy did me some harm, you know? Right. The, Lord will, the Lord's gonna gonna have to take that one into his own hands. Um, but again, I think it just points out that this community is a real community with real people. This is not some fake utopian spiritualized, you know, group of people that all get along perfectly and there's no hardship. Like this is the real life that we live. Is there's disagreements and there's separations. There's people that serve with us. And then have their own concerns and cares and depart, and there's sorrows with that. So, yeah, it's interesting. Then we got Jesus' justice. Jesus' justice, which is interesting because he shows up as well in Philemon. He's not mentioned actually in similar passages with these other guys. So we don't know a lot about him. Nope. And even here, it's not mentioned exactly what he does, except that he's part of a group that has been a huge comfort to Paul. Yeah, which, I mean, if you're thinking about your life, like, don't you want to be comfort to people? Mm-hmm. Like, just known as, oh, yeah, when I met with Jesus Justice, he was always a comfort to me. Yeah. It's a great sort of word picture. Well, I think in the beginning of the series, we asked, you know, what relationships do you have in your life that are life-giving? I think Justice is an example of, man, if I'm going through a hard time, if I'm Paul, I want this guy in my life. Like, that guy is comforting to me. He produces life in me. Because we can think of other people in our life that really drain us, um, that are taxing. Yeah. And it's interesting, when I was looking up his his picture, which was probably the hardest one to find, mm. because there's very little bit about him, it seems like he possibly could have been a bishop or pastor, and we use that word now, and has interesting connotations, but of Jerusalem by the time of the first century was ending mm-hmm. he could have been one of the key players within that area possibly it's very squirrely church history at that point documentation but maybe i wonder if there's it's like kind of like the beginning of all things like vic lombardi right mm-hmm. the, the trophies named after him was he the greatest coach ever i don't know i think he was just one of the first key players yeah. You know, it's like some of these guys, they were essential because it was the beginning. Mm-hmm. It was the beginning, right. Sorry. Right. Epaphras. Oh, Epaphras is awesome. So this is the first Hellenistic. How do you know that he's Hellenistic? Well, because I think, well, I guess it's how I read the text. These four are the only ones of the circumcision mm. that, are, that are with me. That's what Paul says. That's interesting. What, so, is, what does that mean? Like Hellenistic, so it's like you're you're a Gentile believer. Okay, so your roots are not Jewish. So it's like Titus. Yeah, and Titus he's from Colossae. He's like one of you, right? So he's mm. that's a Roman city, Roman town. So if he's Colossian, he's probably Gentile. Hmm, that's interesting. Cool. But, and so, what is he's just a fellow servant, faithful minister? What is it? What is he? I love that he's he's credited really for being steadfast in prayer. And that's the work that produces the maturity and the confidence, the being assured in the will of God. And so it's not just an addendum to the real ministers. The work of prayer is the work of ministry. Mm. And in all of these things, you know, we, we mentioned a few people by name of how they've been an example of these at Calvary. And some of the people we mentioned, specifically around prayer, are those who are our senior. Yeah. You know, they're in their 70s and 80s, people who have been praying for 50 years, we mentioned. And there was conversation with several people after service saying, man, I wish I could be around them. And I had mentioned to them, well, they're going to be with the Lord soon. And we need new prayer warriors. We need new people that are praying in their 30s, in their 20s for the next 50 years. You know, if they've been praying for 50 years and they're in their 70s, that means they were praying 
in their 20s. Mm. And so, yeah, you're in your 20s. Let's become like Epaphras, devoted, struggling in our prayers for the work of the gospel in our cities. It's beautiful. So I think it's just a call to all the people at Calvary. Okay, this may not have been, you, you wouldn't say, oh, that's me. But we say, okay, maybe that's not you yet. But if you devote yourself to it, to be an encourager, to be a peacemaker, to be a reconciler, um, to be a comforter, to be a prayer, yeah, give your life to that. And you will be that for us. Mm. And we need you to. Yeah, that's a high calling. We need people like that. That's yeah. great. That's let's, great. Let's raise the bar in all of our groups. Um, just the spiritual temperature. Say, let's let's commit ourselves to it. Mm. Okay, we got Luke. Luke, he's the he's the physician. Actually, this is where we learn that he's a physician. Okay. So when everyone says everyone says, you know, Luke, the doctor, we know he's a physician or doctor based on this. By Colossians four. Yeah. So we don't know anywhere else. That's really cool. That's, that is very interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's the I mean, he's the one that writes the Gospel of Luke, and he's the one that writes. I call it the Gospel of Acts. I think it's the you know continue the story of what God's up to um, through the church. So he's the one that writes um, both of those books for us. So he's the one that's been traveling with Paul, talking to eyewitnesses, getting the story together. Mm-hmm. Oh, really neat. That's really cool. And then we got. Uh, None other than Nympha. Nympha. Who is one of the many women that were the early disciples yeah. of Jesus and then also the church and were key components to the flourishing of the early church. Yeah, and one thing we didn't talk about on Sunday was is got to be her boldness because not only we, we highlighted her hospitality and generosity because she's opening her home. She's, she's not just opening her home. They're having church in her home. They're having church, right? And so you're like, you're in a Hellenistic community that is anti-Christian mm-hmm. potentially hostile to the faith. You are the church of the community, which means you're probably the lightning rod of this thing. Right. So you got to take some flack. Yeah. You're going to host these people in your house. Right. It's not even like you attended the church. Like, no, you're hosting the church. Right. So it's on it's your block that everyone's cars parked. <laughs> I, know. I know. So I was like, man, props to her for the courage it probably took to to host the church. Not only her hospitality and her generosity of sharing what she had, but the courage it would take to do that. Mm-hmm. To be known in the community as yeah, the Christians meet at Nymphus House. Yeah. Which tells you the beauty of like maybe she might have been wealthy, probably. Yeah, I think her house. Yeah, probably assumed that you would have more square footage. Well, it also debunks the idea of like this utopian early church, like everyone sold everything and was in this like communal group where yeah. no one had a need because everyone sold everything they owned. And it's like they sold some stuff, but still, we see people meeting in people's houses. Yeah, that would have to be rather large to hold yeah. hold a church. Yeah, so the time period. Interesting. So she's in Colossae and she is the church location on Google Maps. Yeah. That's cool. I wonder, I mean, like, that'd be a challenge to everyone at Calvary. Say, hey, would you have the courage to host the church? Yeah. If the community was antagonistic towards Christians and looking for where they gathered. Right. Yeah. Would you say, oh, put my house on the list? Or aren't, are you one of those individuals where your neighbor's on... Saturday morning, like, hey, what what goes on on Tuesday nights? I see all these cars parked in front of your yeah. house. Everyone's walking in. Lights are on. The door's always open. What what do you do on Tuesday nights? And you actually tell them. Yeah. Yeah, that's my life group. You want to be a part of it? I know. <laughs> you want to come? I, I seriously remember this. I know there was, like, some other layers to it, but I remember when we did the the home church during COVID, and we, we put yard signs out. Yeah. You know? Calvary Bible Church at home, and that's where we were gathering in small communities. And at, I can't remember at the period, there was some transition in the COVID policy where they then limited like how many households could even be in a house. Mm-hmm. And we continued to meet after talking to our local law enforcement. It's like, hey, we're going to be okay. But people, were, people had said, I don't want to put that yard sign in my yard. And I was like, yeah. It's because everyone knows the church is going to gather there. Right. Yeah. That. It's just amazing that, you know, because these in the early church, Paul didn't show up to town and build a building. You know what I mean? Like they weren't building buildings all the time. They had buildings occasionally, mm-hmm. but 
they they were dependent upon people just having hospitality and opening of their doors. Yeah, the, the the church was just part of that, right? Same with life groups. We're dependent upon. I mean, it, from time to time, it's great for a life group to meet at the church. Maybe no one in your group has the square footage to host the group. I get that, but there's a beauty thing. There's a beautiful thing where your home, which has a lot of square footage, if I've seen most of our homes is used for the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. just not for a sanctuary to be isolated. Yeah, I'm, I I mean, even in my own life group, there's a variety of house sizes. Right. And I just love that we just gather in everybody's homes. Mm-hmm. They have the most beautiful homes. And right. there are times in which card tables are set up in the living room, and it's hard to host, like, 36 people, including kids, you know? Right. Or with kids. Uh in anyone's house, like not, that, none of that's going to fit in any of our homes, right? And that's okay, right? Yeah, it's amazing. I I love it that when we 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 got a new home, it had more square footage than our townhome, and like the first two weeks, I'm at a, like driving up in our neighborhood, and in the garage sale, I see these wooden chairs, and I need chairs now because I can host score, and like <laughs> I bought like twelve of them for like yeah. twenty bucks. And now I have chairs for life group. Yeah. Like it's amazing how the Lord is like, okay, here's your square footage. Here's some chairs. Yeah. There you go. Just be be aware. And they're not the best chairs. They're rather uncomfortable if you're in the one. But like these people can sit somewhere. Yeah. You know? I think you just have to change your mentality of my job is not to entertain and impress people. Right. But to welcome people and allow them to rest. Yes. So if I can create space that allows people to be welcomed and resting, that's hospitality. Right. And how beautiful is, John Piper has always made this comment, I still remember it, and it's attributed to him. How beautiful is it for you to demonstrate complete humility by not having the best home, but welcoming strangers and friends into your home, yeah. no matter what, it, I what size it a, is or like, how well put together it is. <laughs> I remember being in a group... And we were talking about having people over. They said, well, I just, I don't know. I, I don't know if I could cook for that many people or um, what would I feed them? And this one person that was sitting at the table said, well, Thomas and Kristen had us over and all they served us was soup. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, hey, man, what's, <laughs> you didn't like the soup? Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, you know, and I felt a little self-conscious, like all I served him was soup. And it was like, whatever. Yeah. That's all, that's all we had that night. Yeah, that's all that's we had. That's fine. That's fine. Because I've been at people's houses, and I love it, where they just order some Domino's pizza. Mm-hmm. Or I've been there with just, like, bologna sandwiches in their trailer. Mm-hmm. And there's no, like, what's the vegetable? What's yeah. the... It's like, no, we're just having a slice of pizza yeah. and a glass of water. Yeah. And there's nothing else to it. Let's open up the scriptures. <laughs> totally, man. Like, I'm I'm just loving a bologna sandwich right now. Right. And a glass of water. Right. On white bread. And I genuinely am so happy to be here. Yeah. And this is what the beauty of the kingdom of god internationally when you travel in mission trips internationally you sit in so many different homes and they they bring out whatever they can bring out and it's a beautiful expression of hospitality yeah it's beautiful okay and then we got the last person i'm gonna really slaughter this name so i'm gonna let you pronounce him he is uh our kippus let me pull it back up get my scriptures i think it's archipus Archipus. grab it 417 he's he's named as fulfilling the ministry that the that he received in the lord yeah archippus what do we know about him what do we know about him i think the piece there he's mentioned again um but here is you you have a ministry to fulfill it kind of reminds me of when paul writes to timothy is hey the elders place their hands on you there's a gifting that you must continue to fan into flame Mm. like don't don't forsake what the Lord has commissioned you to. Um, so I think you're, you're seeing a similar thing here of Archippus, who's also called fellow soldier in Philemon. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it's just the call to all of us to say, okay, what has the Lord placed on your heart? Maybe what has he really commissioned you to? And to say, let's fulfill that. Let's not grow weary in doing good, fulfilling our mission. Um, maybe we have to re-put our hand to the plow Whatever I don't know. Yeah, maybe we've grown grown distracted or discouraged, and we've kind of given up, or we've put our energy somewhere else. And just to realign ourselves and say, okay, if Paul wrote me and said, Thomas, 
fulfill the fulfill the ministry that the Lord gave you. So, all right, I'm back in. Yeah, that's amazing. Church history has him as the first bishop of Laodicea, which is interesting because that's one of the churches in Revelation. So he might have encountered that letter even then. Yeah. Or maybe because church history also has him stoned to death eventually in Laodicea. Mm. So what an interesting story for him to receive this instruction from Colossians and then show up in church history. That's actually, yeah, that'd be an interesting study because, you know, Laodicea is the lukewarm church in Revelation, and Paul or and, and Jesus is trying to tell that church, recommit yourself. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if if he's the leader there, if it's under his leadership to be the one that has to help the church get recommitted. Or they were floundering after they watched him get stoned or, to yeah, death. Maybe they're like, we should probably shut our mouth. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, it's super. Know. It's super interesting. This is where I think like church history is just sort of doesn't, it's not scripture. It just fills in the gaps, you know, or yeah. it asks curious questions about what happened. Yeah. All right. We've spent a long time on this podcast. This is the longest podcast in the weekly history. All right. So let's guess who's still with us. Your mom. Yeah. John's mom. John's mom. <laughs> <laughs> Our wives that watch us every single week. <laughs> You know the real. I think the real question that you came out with, and I think it's the ending of this, is like, are you engaged in this community? Yeah. Are you one of these names around here at Calvary? So what the whole purpose of that study stuff was to say, okay, we're more connected with one another through digital platforms, through email, through texting, um, than ever before in the world, and yet our loneliness and isolation is more prevalent. And so the remedy is not to be further connected to, but to be engaged in, to be known, to, be, to belong, to be expressing your own gifts, and to be receiving the gifts of others in your life at, at church. Yeah. This is the, what it means to be the incarnational community. And we are praying with you. We would love to journey with you as you try to figure that out around here at Calvary. All right, Paul says, and whatever you do, in word or deed, everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And he finishes the letter saying, grace be with you. We pray that the grace of God would go with you today, no matter where you find yourself after listening to the longest podcast on the weekly history. Grace be with you, my friends. See you soon.